you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the com. The Chris Voss Show. Com. Hey, we're coming in here with another podcast. Oh my God, it's another one. Thank you for tuning in, those of you who have tuned in and are checking out, listening, being those loyal subscribers. We certainly appreciate you. We love you. Virtual hug to all you folks out there. Today, we have a most amazing guest. He's going to blow your mind. This guy will blow your mind. He will give you inspiration. If you think your life is challenging, he may challenge your challenging. Or not, it's a variable, but I think he will definitely inspire you. Anyway, to go see the video version of this, go to youtube.com for us, Chris Voss. Go to goodreads.com for us, Chris Voss. Go see all the clubs and channels and all that kind of stuff we have on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram as well. Today, I invited a really brilliant gentleman. I've met a lot of really cool people on Clubhouse, just brilliant people that I would unfortunately never meet on any other platform. And Clubhouse is just such a brilliant thing where you can meet people, you can get to know them better, you can get to dig through their bio and find out and go, wow, I really like who that person is. And uh, yeah, so I invited him on the show. His name is Sean Swarner, and he has an epic tale to take and share with us today. Welcome to the show, Sean. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. I wish I had a, a sweet mic like you, but I'm, I'm down in, in Puerto Rico on my laptop. But you said the word brilliant, and I was thinking, is he introducing me? <laughs> I do the same thing when I guest on shows. They start introducing me, and I'm like, where? He's, there's someone really yeah, cool am, I, am I missing something here? <laughs> Welcome to the show, though. So give us a rundown of your bio. You can give us a long one, actually, since I'm not reading. You've done some uh, interesting things with your life. Extraordinary. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. How far back do you want to go? Because we could go back far enough that mom and dad got together nine months well, later. That's, uh, uh, we can skip mom and dad. All right, so we'll, we'll skip no on No offense to your mom and dad. I'm sure they're wonderful <laughs> people, but it's not that kind of show. We do that podcast on OnlyFans. All right, cool. So I, I don't want that visualization in my head anymore. <laughs> you started um, it. <laughs> so let's go. Let's go back eighth grade. What, how about I introduce it this way? I'm the only person in history to climb Mount Everest, the highest mountain on every continent, eat of both the North and South Poles, and complete the World Championship Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. That's freaking okay. awesome. That's throwing down the gauntlet right there. But I also, and you would never be, you'd never know this next part. I did it all after surviving two terminal cancers, a prognosis of three months, 14 days to live, a medically induced coma for a year. I was read my last rites and I only have one functioning lung. Holy Judas. That is amazing. And you've done all this climbing and all this hiking and stuff. I'm tired already in the show. I might have to take a nap. This is, this is, dude, this is amazing. So tell us a story about how you, uh, let's start from the area where you either developed cancer, lo- lost the lung and, and everything else. And uh, this medically induced ca- coma and where you rose from, from that. 
Absolutely. So I was, I was born and raised in Ohio, Midwest guy, regular, yeah. regular kid, just like everybody else. Yeah. I was no, that's a tragedy time. in of itself. So you overcame that. So that's good. No, yeah, I'm, just well, kidding. I, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just lost the Ohio crowd. I'm sorry, Ohio. I didn't mean it. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, you, you do. I'm, I'm a big Michigan fan and I, I did not belong oh. in Ohio. Now we have lost the Ohio crowd. That's good. Absolutely. Lost that Ohio contingency. But but Bo Schembechler was my third cousin, and Woody Hayes was a family friend. Mm. So we we just pulled back the Ohio crowd. Okay, there we go. We saved All right. So born and and like I said, normal normal Midwest kid, and wow, even even like on the cross country team, we would TP the coach's house back before toilet paper was worth more than gold, and <laughs> you could actually find it. I trade it for Bitcoin these days. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So eighth grade basketball injury my knee snapped uh, every joint just swelled up so much and and if you can imagine what it sounds like when like you're at thanksgiving and you're eating the the turkey bone the turkey leg yeah. that gristle and that, that's what my knee sounded like and i was born and raised in a super small town called willard ohio and my my backyard was a bean field or a cornfield depending on the season and they didn't have the technology to figure out what i had initially they thought i had pneumonia and it's pretty difficult to cure cancer sucking on a nebulizer. So that wasn't working. They took me to Columbus, Ohio. And as a 13-year-old, they diagnosed me with advanced stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that's when they told my parents, your firstborn son has three months to live. Jesus. So I don't, I don't know if you have any kids who are, who are you know, teens but, or who were teens or whatever. But can you imagine the doctor coming up and saying, hey, I'm sorry, but your, your child has advanced Final, fourth and final stage cancer, and they only have three months to live. Yeah. I don't have any kids, but I have my dog kids, and that would be devastating. It was devastating, actually, when it happened. Yeah. It's just, no no, thank you. So I, I ballooned up 60 pounds, lost all the hair in my body. In fact, I remember one, there was a moment when I was probably three months into the cancer and into the treatment, and I remember being on my, on my hands and knees in the shower, just sobbing. And because all my hair came out in that, that, that the time that I was in the shower and I was thinking of, of what my friends were going through, getting ready for school the same day, because I, I developed a different perspective. Imagine you're, you're super overweight as a 13 year old, bald from head to toe, you're, you're sobbing and just pulling chunks of hair out of the drains, crying your eyeballs off, pull, pulling chunks of hair out of the drain so the water can go down. You know, it's, it's, it's just not a pretty picture, but I was thinking of, of, like I said earlier, what my friends may have been going through the same day. They were worried about being popular. They were worried about being with the in crowd. They were worried about chasing girls, whatever it might be, their first kiss, what, whatever. I was worried about fighting for my life. So even at a young age, I developed a different perspective than most people. That will, that will give it to you. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, and I went through about a year of chemotherapy. And I think thanks to the miracle of modern medicine, family support, prayer, and just an inner will to get up out of the hospital, I walked out a hairless, happy, bloated young man. You know, I was, I was, I was back in, into being what, I guess, if there is a normal for a teenager, but I was back to being a normal teenager. So did you just overcome it with the treatment that they were giving you? I, I think it was a combination of everything. It was almost like okay. the, the perfect storm came together, but with good things. 
Mm-hmm. So I had the right doctor. I had the right treatment. I had the right diet. I had the right exercise. I had the right mental attitude. I had every, the right support system. Everything came together all at once at the right moment. I don't think it was just one thing. It was everything. So I was, I was normal for, quote unquote, normal for about a year. Then going in for a checkup for the first cancer is when they found a second cancer. And in one day, they found a tumor on an x-ray the size of a golf ball. They did a needle biopsy where they threaded a needle I don't know, about six, eight inches through between my ribs to aspirate part of the tumor. They took out a lymph node in my neck, put in a Hickman catheter, which is like a permanent IV. They snapped open a few ribs, removed the tumor, put in a drainage tube, and started chemotherapy in less than one day. Holy Judas. So, yeah. This, this time around, they actually diagnosed me with a type of cancer that affects three out of a million people with a prognosis of 6%. Wow. So out of 100 people, 94 die. You're definitely unique. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. And this time, what's that? This this story's just going to get better. I know. So (laughs) let's get through this part. Yeah, this this time around, the doctors diagnosed me with advanced stage Askin sarcoma. And that's when they told my parents. But not only did they hear the first time, your, your son has three months to live. This time around, they said, your son has 14 days. Wow. Your poor parents, man, and you, 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 you climb this mountain with cancer, fighting cancer, you, 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 you think you got to beat and then back again in it. Absolutely. But it, it was, it kind of, it kind of goes back to that shower story where I think that was a turning point in my life because I, I, I decided that I could either fight for my life or give up and die. What are the options there? And yeah. I, I didn't want to give up. I didn't, I didn't want to die. But I also, I also changed how I looked at life. And it wasn't looking at it from uh, the perspective of, hey, I don't want to die. I was looking at it from the perspective of, I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, the, that's the attitude I had going into it. And that's the attitude I have for everything now. It's the same thing climbing, uh, climbing Everest. And when I did that with, with half my lung capacity, which they thought was physiologically impossible... I wasn't focused on don't don't fall in the crevasse or hey don't fail. I was focused on making it to the top. There you go. So, how did the how did how did you did did you how did you lose the other lung and 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 this coma thing that you were in? So the, the radi I had three months of intense radiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, three months of intense chemo, one month of radiation, and then ten more months of chemo. And the radiation or the, the, the chemo was so harsh on my body. The, every time I went into the hospital, it would be like at a week at a time. That's when the doctor put me in a medically induced coma because the treatments were so hard. They didn't want me to remember it. Jesus. So I remember my 16 year old, my 16 year old self in that year when I was there for the radiation treatment only because I was lucid. I went in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, and I, I literally, I drove, 90 miles one way, had a 30-minute treatment, and 90 miles back the next day, or 90 miles back home the same day. So in one day, I'll do 180 miles driving just for a 30-minute treatment. Wow. And because of that, I have both my lungs, but only one functions because there's so much scar tissue from the radiation treatment. Oh, wow. Wow. And so they put you in a medically induced induced uh, coma for a whole year. Wow. Yeah. There I, I have moments that alcoholics would call a, a moment of clarity, mm-hmm. you know, but I, and I, I remember certain things and it's super weird because everywhere I go, I also try to visit local hospitals and share my survivorship story with the patients. 
And the, the memory that's the sense that's closest linked to memory is the sense of smell. And I'll be visiting a patient and I will smell something like saline, for example, that'll trigger a memory I didn't even know I had. Well, your brain's usually, I think, still working in a coma. At least the subconscious brain's keeping everything going. So you come out of the coma. Do they tell you that you beat the cancer at that point or what happens next? Yeah, I I, I beat the cancer again. The second one, again, they're both two primary cancers, completely unrelated. The chances of me, I've done the math on this, the chances of me surviving both Hodgkin's and Atkins is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. Holy moly moly. That's got to be, yeah, those odds have got to be nearly impossible. That is crazy, man. Didn't much. Yeah. So I was, I was placed in remission, and then I, I went on with my life. I, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I went to Westminster College, small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. I turned into Belushi from Animal House. I had a wonderful time. I was reliving my high school years. I was, I, I, beer, I was going to say I discovered beer. No, beer discovered me. I had a, had a great, had great, great four and a half years in school. There you go. <laughs> And so when did you decide to start this journey where you go start climbing the highest peaks in the world? I was in grad school. I was working towards my master's and my doctorate. I wanted to be a psychologist for cancer patients. And I figured I had a lot to offer, but I I couldn't help somebody else until I helped myself. I never took the time to stop and stare myself in the mirror and ask myself, hey, who are you? What do you want from life? Let alone looking back at how did the cancer affect me? Because anybody who goes through something traumatic, it affects you somehow on some level. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it's up to you to figure out how you want to move forward past that. So I, I, I could have sat there for my entire life thinking, why me? Why me? Why did this happen? The fact of the matter is it did happen. There's nothing I can do about the past, but I I have every, I have every bit of control over my future. Mm. So understanding that I decided, okay, I'm done with this. Something happened in grad school, maybe changed directions. And I decided, all right, well, I want to be the first cancer survivor to climb Mount Everest because I was looking for a platform Mm. to literally give back hope and, and scream hope from the largest platform in the world. There you go. That's pre- that's pretty an awesome. That's an awesome thing to go for. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually I was living in Florida when I came up with the idea. I was going to school down there. But after doing some research, I, I found out that not too many curiosity. You know, <laughs> coincidentally, not too many mountaineers live in the state of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the high the highest point Key down West there beaches. Exactly right. Yeah. The, the highest point down there is the the top of the Four Seasons Hotel in Miami. <laughs> if you do the stairs, that's a climb. Yeah, a thousand times. <laughs> so, what made you? Where did you go from there? Moved to Colorado. There, there you go. Mile high. That'll teach your. I've had offices and and places that in in Colorado, and and that's that air alone. Just you're mile high, man. When you first get there, you're like, <gasps> what the hell. Right. And then uh, you see the hail. <laughs> you see what's that? And then you see the hail. That's, oh, an, that's a whole other story. Yeah, we're we're approaching hail season here pretty soon. Oh God! I remember one time when we first opened our offices, and I moved. I had a I had a place in in Denver to stay at. One I'd fly out there for our office, and I remember when I first went out there, I I saw this car walking into Seven Eleven. 
And it looked like somebody took the the round part of a ball peen hammer and just whacked the car all over. <laughs> and I I grew up in a group in California, and then in my teen years we moved to Utah. And I'm used to seeing stupid these these multifamily kids that are jumping on the cars and hitting their parents' cars with the hammers out on the street. It's just they have ten kids. It's like Annabelleville out here. So I I saw this car and I'm like, somebody's kid went and ball peed and hammered their car. That is hilarious. I was joking with the Seven Eleven guy, and he goes, he goes, no, that's the hail. And I go, what, <laughs> what? And I was about to bring one of my BMWs out to stay at the, for the office, so I'd have it when I fly in and out. And I was like, I was like, no, I'm not bringing my BMWs out here. No, that's not, that's not freaking happening. Not with that hail. We'll just keep running Jags and budget. That fortunately, budget rental car had Jaguars, so which are still pieces of garbage. But yeah, so I remember <laughs> looking at it going. Oh my God. And I, I pulled over a many a hailstorms and hidden under like a uh, hotel things, uh, hotel, like, uh, the entrances and stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it's going to break the car and I'm going to have to pay for it. But yeah. That, that Denver stuff, something else, but moving on. So what happened after you moved to Denver? I moved, moved to Denver for, was there for a little bit and then went up to Estes Park, Colorado, where we, there's a mountain out there called Long's Peak, which is, uh, if you do the, the normal route, it's 18 miles round trip, 14,256 feet high. Wow. And I did that. I, I did that once a week with a hundred pounds of rocks in my backpack. Wow. So you're just warming up, practicing up, getting, getting good for the thing. Yeah. Getting my chicken legs in shape. <laughs> I get some chicken legs. <laughs> yeah. They're fat right. chicken legs too. Thanks. <laughs> well, My I, whole I, audience I, is I, like, why do? Why is that now on our head? Thank you. So you practice climbing the mountain. Yeah, up and down, up and down. I, I did that once a week. I just kept pushing my body further and further and further. Obviously, I didn't start with 100 pounds. I you know, worked my way up to there. And then I, I started approaching Everest organizers, and they told me that there's, there was no way they would, there was going to be anyone who was going to take a one lung, two time cancer surviving lunatic up the highest mountain in the world. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many doors closed in my face, but for 99 doors that closed, I finally found one that was open and I jumped on it. And then literally, Nine months after moving to Colorado and training, I flew to Kathmandu. And you you pulled it off, huh? Well, my first attempt, man, it was it was insane. We got to uh, base camp April eighth. I summited May sixteenth. So I was there for rough one over over a month, almost a month and a half, mm -hmm. living in a tent. I don't know if you've ever uh, gone with a gone a month and a half without showering before, but it's not pretty. I'll bet. They don't have like anything to spritz yourself off up there or anything. You you can get like those solar showers and stuff, but we were oh, yeah. we yeah. were we weren't we weren't even on a shoestring budget. We were on a Velcro budget. We didn't even have shoelaces. So what is that like? You have one lung, and there's already a, la a lack of oxygen up there. If you have two lungs, it's still not a fun riot party. What is that like? I've I've gotten to know what it's like with one lung since I was 16. Mm -hmm. So flash forward 10 years later, I've been living with my one lung for, for, for 10 years. And that's when I climbed Everest, 27, 27 years old. And for the longest time, I was just conscious about how I was breathing. And, and most people, when you get nervous, you start breathing up here through your, your upper chest. And I've, I've consciously taught, taught myself how to use my diaphragm to breathe. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to. 
Yeah. And going going up on the summit night from Everest, the last camp's at twenty six thousand feet. It's it's called the death zone, and it you, like you literally the the body deteriorates. So like the brain cells die, fat melts away, muscle melts away. I I, I was I was gonna say I was six two. I'm still six two. <laughs> six two. I weighed about one hundred and eighty, hundred eighty five pounds going over there. When I came back, I weighed one hundred and fifty pounds. I need to go climb Everest. Uh, it's, it's it's the best diet in the world. You can eat anything you want, if, as much as you want, any time you want, and still lose weight. Wow. I just move <laughs> in. So you climb Everest. You get done with that. You reach the highest peak. What do you decide to do then? Because you, you've done it, right? Climbed Everest. Ever, yeah, Everest is, is the pinnacle in the climbing industry, but there's also something called the Seven Summits, which is the highest mountain on every continent. Mm-hmm. And I... And I I started with Everest, and the, the purpose behind it was to reach around the world and, and help people who, who've been touched by cancer, which kind of seemed like everybody in the world knows someone touched by the disease. And when I summited, I actually had a flag that was about that big, you know, maybe a foot, two feet, whatever. And it had names of people touched by cancer. That was, I hope, my inspiration to get up there. And I left that flag at the top of the world. And then I wanted to, to do the same thing. For the highest peak on each continent. And then mm-hmm. I did the same thing after that to the South Pole. Then I did the same thing when I trekked to the North Pole. Wow. So and now you hold the record for, tell me the record that you hold. I'm the first, I'm the first cancer survivor to climb Mount Everest. First cancer survivor to do the Seven Summits. The first cancer survivor to do the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is, I mean, to me, it sounds like a Denny's breakfast platter. Yeah, to me. it does, yeah. <laughs> it's the seven summits and the two poles. And I'm the only person to do the Grand Slam and the Hawaii Ironman. Oh, wow. And you did an Ironman, too. The Hawaii oh, Ironman, yeah. Yeah. Are you a masochist or a sadist? or No, you're a masochist? The, uh, that's crazy, man. But but props to you, man. I, I, I'm just having trouble getting up in the morning and lifting this coffee cup to my face. So what an inspiration. And, and so many people, cancer is like, the worst thing ever. So many people suffer from cancer, lose loved ones to cancer. I lost one of my favorite dogs to cancer, did a year and a half with hospice care, had to watch it grow on, on the back of her, which is, it's one thing to see somebody and you're like, you look fine, but they have cancer inside them. It's, it's another thing to see the cancer grow on something and see the evilness of it. But so you've also written two books about your experiences and things to try and inspire people. Yeah, the one one's by Simon and Shoes is called Keep Climbing, How I Beat Cancer and Reach the Top of the World. You can get all all of them on Amazon. The other one's called it's part of the seven summits to success, Everest Becoming Unstoppable. And I'm finishing up Kilimanjaro into the self. And while you're on Amazon, you can go check out True North, which is a film about my expedition to the North Pole. And uh, somehow they got some amazing footage and made forty below look almost almost tolerable. Wow. And so you yeah. have a movie about your experience. Yeah, when you if, when you watch it though, man, keep in mind with with any documentary. First of all, you usually they stop at like the the, the top of the mountain or at the destination. Mm-hmm. You know, how the hell do they get back home? Yeah, that's true. You got to <laughs> fight your way back down the mountain, right? Exactly, because when and you not die, the, you're you're halfway. Exactly, that's the most dangerous part. I thought there was just a helicopter up there waiting for you and you just leave. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't think That'd be that. nice. At the North Pole, that's what we had, though. It's just like an escalator back down the backside. And a, long, a long zip line. 
That's what they should do. They should just set up a zip line. First, I don't know, your brain would probably explode. It's probably divers where you, if you come up too soon. In the air embolism. <laughs> you get the thing. So, so now what you do is you go around the world, you inspire people, uh, you share your story, you go to hospitals and things like that. Yeah, I visit hospitals. <laughs> the biggest thing I, I really love is being a keynote presenter, a keynote speaker at conferences and, and corporations. But I've also put together what's called the Summit Challenge. And it's, in all honesty, I, th- I think it's the, the, next, the next step in self-empowerment. Because if, if you look at, just go back like the past 50, 60 years in, in that industry, it's always been some guru who's been saying, hey, if you do this and this, this will be your result. You, you, you do those two things, you'll make a million dollars in three days. But the only person who's going to make a million dollars in three days is the person you're paying to, to tell you how to do it. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. Exactly. So that's, that's a load of garbage. That's not going to work. So what mine is, is it's because everybody's different. Everybody has a different perspective on life. Everybody has different personal core values. This actually helps you hone in on your personal core values to help you live a life on your terms and value what and live a life that you value based on what you want most and what you value most. So it's called, like I said, it's called the Summit Challenge, seven different challenges where I work people through this linear stage, this linear path to the top of their own peak based on their personal core values, making conscious and mindful decisions on what means most to them. First one, I mean, a, a great one would be, say, you're waking up in the morning, right? Say you're having a hard time getting up. How, how often do people hit snooze? That's true. Over and over and over, over, and again. over again. You know what you're telling yourself every morning? You're like, eh, I'm not excited about my day. Eh, I'm not excited about my day. But when your alarm goes off, if you get out of bed and make it a habit, you're psychologically telling yourself over and over and over again that you're excited about what's coming up during that day. <laughs> I'm fortunate I have two Huskies that are excited about what they're doing in the morning. And so <laughs> they actually get me up and they have they work on a clock and, a, and I have to get up or else there's going to be pee on the floor. Right. So they, they have their own way of, they're, they're excited. So I just kind of share in their excitement. That's awesome. I don't, get a, I don't get a snooze button, unfortunately, with them. You hit the nose. <laughs> yeah, I get the nose, the licking, or the, the jumping up and down on Chris. And, and they, they, have, they have invented different ways to bother me, to get me up. So it's uh, maybe everyone should invest in some Huskies. Maybe that's the new, that's the new yeah, alarm they, clock right there. <laughs> Ditch the alarm clock, get some Huskies. And you get free hair with it too, so that's awesome. You can keeps you warm at night. Yeah, yeah, technically. <laughs> yeah, technically. Do you do coaching too, or do you just do the speaking and the books and stuff? Do do the coaching as well. In fact, I'm putting together. I've I've been up Kilimanjaro, which is the highest mountain in Africa, twenty times now, mm-hmm. and wow. I do it every year as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. And mm-hmm. what we do is we actually we fund a survivor's trip, completely paid for. Mm-hmm. And it's the responsibility of that survivor to raise funds for next year's survivor. Oh, wow. Keeping in the family, paying it forward. Anyone can go. Anyone's more than welcome to go. We just cover a survivor's trip, a survivor's expedition to join the rest of the group. But I'm turning, into, I'm turning that into because the idea behind it is the average success rate on Kilimanjaro is 48%. Mm-hmm. So 52 people out of 100 from all the groups who attempt the summit don't make it. My groups, are, my groups are at 98%. Nice. That's so awesome. I want, 
Exactly. So I wanted to use what I utilize on the mountain for those groups and turn it into an ultimate ex- an ultimate Kilimanjaro experience to help people immersively make changes in the moment. So seven days up and down the mountain where it's completely immersive, and then we celebrate with a four day safari. So we're working on that one right now too. That's awesome, man. Can anyone go, or do you have to be a cancer survivor? Anyone can go. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to work on climbing my stairs every day. See if maybe see if I can go in a year or two or five or ten or something like that. So what <laughs> what what's the key to finding the inspiration that keeps you going that that got you to want to to do go go the extra distance? Most people would just be like, I'm going to sit here with my I be, I beat the thing and I'm just going to ride it out the rest of the way. We did the we did the fun part. Yeah, honestly, I think I think because because I I've, I've seen that numerous yeah. times. There, there were nights I went to bed not knowing if I was going to wake up the next morning. Wow. I'll be honest. And there were nights I was terrified to close my eyes. But I didn't think I would ever open them again. So I wow. think more than anything, I'm more afraid of not living than I am of dying. And wow. what I want to do is I want to empower other people to see life the same way I do. Maybe not, maybe not the exact same way, but I want people to have the, the passion about life that I do. And it's not complaining about traffic. It's not complaining about the noise outside. It's understanding that you always have a, a choice in how you want to react in any situation. And things can always be worse. But don't go to bed being upset about the things you didn't get done. Go to bed being grateful for all the things that you were able to experience. That's very true. I remember on my 52nd birthday, I think, or 51st birthday, I posted on Facebook some sort of bitch and moan, cry and whine thing about turning 51 or two. And I, I, I write a lot of jokes too. So I put up a lot of stuff that has jokes been through it. And, but it was kind of like, Oh God, here we are. And I had somebody write me that just was like a stab in the brain. And they wrote, Chris, you really should be thankful. There's a lot of people who want to be your age and didn't get to your age, man. You should really take a different point of view. And that really was like a punch in the face that went, yeah, I didn't really think about that. So, yeah, I really, actually, there's a lot of people who would trade me for this moment. Shit, I should probably think about the value of that. Yeah, but if if you're joking about it, that's fine. And I, I've, I've always thought that what I say is about me, what you hear is about you. Yeah, it was half a bitch. It was half yeah. a bitch, half a joke. I, 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 I weave those together quite well. <laughs> Yeah, a little sarcastic truth. Sometimes I, I'm bitching, but no one wants to hear me bitching totally. And so they're just like, you better make this funny or else we're not going to read your little pity party. But still, it's it's the keys to finding inspiration. We don't, the sad part is we don't realize how valuable this life is sometimes, many of us. I felt I was immortal all my life till I got to about 50. And I didn't think things would start feeling like they do until I was 70 and uh, or 65 at the very least. And I'm like, wow, this this is this starts going south way earlier than I anticipated. And I thought I could drink and party at least up until me until I died and that's gone. The old bodies, yeah, we're not doing the the whole half bottle of vodka Friday night having a party. Yeah, that's that's not working for you anymore. We're not doing that shit. That's out the door. You you could, but you'd have to sleep until Monday. Oh, it's, it's, I, I will feel it. I, I, I guess I got tuned into my body, but I will feel it for three to four days. 
and my body will drag for the first two or three days. And I don't even have to have a hangover. I just have to drink a few beers. And my body will punish me, and it will just say, remember what you did Friday night? Yeah, it's three days later, jerky. Jerk, and I just, you just, I, I just can't perform, and you know, I perform at such a tip-top level anyway. So it, whatever. So anyway, what more do we need to know, Sean, about you, what you're doing for inspiration, and and uh, your books, et cetera, et cetera? Wow, that, that's a great question. Do we get it all in the can? I mean, we just want to give people a good capsule about you. I think so, man. I, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, the main, the main thing is the summit challenge because I want people to to start replacing bad habits with conscious good habits. And I, I don't want people to go to go through life and then look back at it and think and wish, what if, what if I would have done that? What if I would have done this? This is, this is not a dress rehearsal Yeah, that we have. And we need, we need to go out there and start living. And, and there's a huge difference between being alive and living. And yeah. so many people just don't understand that. And I want people to understand that, and, and know that where we are right now in our lives is because of every decision we've ever made in our past. And it, and it could be big decisions, little decisions, whatever it might be. But like I said before, we have, we, we can choose where we want our futures to go. So you made, you made the conscious decision to, to stop drinking or, or, or realize that. It, it really was, wasn't a conscious decision. I just had to. <laughs> it had to yeah. Like I'd still be drinking if my body would <laughs> get along with me, but it's decided it wants to go its own way. Yeah, that's 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 one good good reason to stop drinking, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I really didn't have a choice in the matter. It's just it's just too painful to do anymore. I but I really do miss it. I've got other things, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that's it. Having a sense of humor about everything is fantastic too. It's the one thing that keeps me going. So there's that. Then the podcast. It's been interesting to talk to you, man. You've, you've led an interesting life. You're inspiring people. I love what you're doing. Uh, you've got the two books. Give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs, order up your two books, check you out, get to know better. And maybe some of these folks can get involved in your Kilimanjaro expeditions. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just go to SeanSwinner.com. Sean unfortunately passed away, Sean Connery, and then the Wonder Brothers with an S on the front. Or send me a message at Sean at cancerclimber.org. Mm-hmm. And you've got some Kilimanjaro art. What is this about? I saw that on your website. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm glad you saw that. Because I've been over to Kilimanjaro so many times, I was actually adopted into the Chugga tribe which okay. is uh, a local tribe over in Africa at the foot of Kili. Like they, they did the whole thing. They sacrificed a goat, literally a member of their, their tribe. Wow. And they call me Mzungu Kicha in Swahili, which means crazy white man in English. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. Last time we sacrificed a goat, I was in a fraternity for a college thing. I don't know. It's like an old school reference there, the movie. And you've had a movie done about your journey too as well why don't you want to plug that sure it's called true north the sean swinner story just go to amazon prime or amazon you'll find it right there there you go but the, man. but the, the paintings support the people in africa because they they rely a hundred percent on tourism and because of covid they haven't had anyone and oh, they're God, just they're amazing right. oh. paintings yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you one yeah if you want to send us a print yeah we'll, we'll yeah. share it out yeah, shoot shoot awesome. your, uh, your address after we get off here, and I'll, I'll send you a pick one out and let me know. Sounds good, man. We'll definitely hook that up. So it's been wonderful to talk to you, man. And hopefully people are, are listening to this and going, 
wow, I my journey is hasn't been quite as difficult. I should really take and look at the quality of what I'm doing and improve it or try and make a better difference in the world. And I love how you've used this to make a difference in the world and inspire other people. That's really freaking awesome. I appreciate it, man. Well, I, I definitely am grateful for the opportunity to, to meet you and share my story. So thank you for giving me the platform to do. And it all because of Clubhouse. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. I never would have met you if I hadn't been for Clubhouse. This is a chance, but this is it's so inspiring that platform and everything else. Absolutely, I need to get on there again. I uh, actually had to buy a uh, an iPhone to do it because I'm an Android guy. <laughs> I I fortunately had a friend who loaned me an iPhone because I hate the I hate the hell out of the phones, and so I have a dedicated one for that. So it's just it's just dedicated twenty four seven to to the unit there on uh, Clubhouse. So, Sean, thank you very much for spending some time with us today, sharing your inspiring story and telling your incredible tale. And it just keeps on going from the sounds of it. So that's just so awesome. Cool. I appreciate it. And next up, if you want to join me, if I get enough sponsors, I'm in January of 2022, I'm running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Let me get back to you on that, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Let me get back to you on that. I don't know, man. Give me till, will you be doing anything in 2030? I'm thinking 2030. I might be in shape for that. I got to work out. No, I'm just kidding. So there you go. Thanks, Sean, for being with us on the show. Thanks, Manus, for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com to see a video version of this. And go to Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. Also, go to Facebook. There's multiple groups over there, LinkedIn and Instagram. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.